We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on Roto-Grinders. No, I am not Travis Mangone. I'm Jordan Cooper. I'm Blenderhead. Travis, uh, I did a show earlier in the week, and he was, I think, at his grandmother's house. And then now he's apparently in a hotel. So I don't know. I don't know what he's in part of a traveling circus or something. Uh, all I know is that with the, with bad Wi-Fi, uh, Travis is, is probably more concerned about uh, not being able to play Fortnite, more so than coming on and hosting this show. But that's fine. I'm here. And I'm here with Stuart from uh, Advanced Sports Analytics. Uh, how was your week last week? Not good, man. I've been on a real cold run since uh, Thanksgiving Day. Uh, I don't know. I think I've had really bad process on Sundays. Like, I just haven't been, uh, you know, locked in on the computer, uh, you know, in the couple hours before. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's uh, just coincidence or not, but I, I do think, you know, if, uh, if you're not uh, – 
on the ball uh, in those, you know, two to three hours before lock, uh, you know, it shows. And uh, I think I ran some kind of subpar, subpar lineups the past few weeks. Um, but, you know, going to try to, and try to focus in this week. Uh, you know, I've been doing kind of my, my weekly research uh, leading into the weekend. I think just really, uh, re- really being locked in and focused on Sunday. Uh, I think it's going to have to be a must for me this Sunday. Um, so what, yeah. would, what would you consider to be last week your, your biggest success and your biggest failure? I mean, in comparison to one another as far as a player or a correlation with a team or stacking? Um. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I think the, so, so some, some areas where I, I just, you know, didn't, didn't get, you know, what I needed uh, a wide receiver. I had Jameson Crowder, which like, I don't know, looking back at, I don't feel bad about um, as a play. Um, I think, I think probably where I got killed is going Sam Darnold at quarterback. I think, uh, you know, I, I've been uh, really, focused on playing guys as uh, quarterbacks in particular against Miami. I just think it's such a good uh, quarterback matchup and um, you know, they just don't generate a lot of pressure. They're really exposed at wide receiver on the outside. And and I thought, uh, you know, not, you know, in, in my cash lineups, like I'm not really worried about, you know, stacking Crowder Darnold. I just thought like independently, they both seem like solid plays. Um, you know, and I don't know, I, I, feel like I kind of like Darnold more than most people do. I, I think he's got kind of sneaky, some uh, rushing equity more than I think people would, would, uh, you know, choose to believe. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that game was tough. I mean, he got, he was doing real well early and just like, I think kind of just been the story with him. Like he's really struggled to put together four good quarters of football uh, on any, on any one day. And, and that, you know, kind of sunk me. I had toyed with, you know, Fitzpatrick or Tannehill, the latter of which I think would have obviously been the right move um, in, in hindsight or, or, or you know, uh, thinking about paying down or up from kind of that uh, 6,000 uh, slot, uh, you know, had had some run bad with Kamara. I think, uh, you know, if you get what, seven points out of Kamara when the, uh, you know, Saints put up in the 40s like that isn't going to happen too often. But I think, you know, so did a, a bunch of other people. So I'm not, you know, going to be like, uh, you know, Oh, having Kamara sunk me. Cause you know, a lot of the people I was playing against had him too. Um, right. Right. If you, if you said beforehand, if you, if you said what the score was and that Kamara would get X amount of touches, what would you not play him at, at 7,000? I mean like that to me, I, I view the game very similar to that, that way. And like, you like you're mentioning Darnold, like I played Derek Carr in my cash mm-hmm. lineup at quarterback and like the reasoning has nothing to do with football. The reasoning just has to do with statistics and that the quarterback position tends to be the narrowest range position. And we had a, we had a week where I think the top option was probably Deshaun Watson, but the range between all the quarterbacks, there wasn't like something egregiously priced. You could have played Drew Brees at 5,900. You could have played like the range was so narrow that like, if I ran this out a million trials, like most likely the having car at 5,000, as long as I'm able to fit in like Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins and Christian McCaffrey and like guys that have really high floors and narrow ranges. Like I think in the long run, that's the best decision regardless of like the matchup or the, the touchdown equity or whatever. Just a matter of car at 5,000 is probably slightly underpriced and none of the other quarterbacks are like egregiously underpriced. So why not, why not uh why not take the savings in a position that has less variance 
rather than take the savings at a position that has more variance, such as wide receiver. Yeah. So you went, let's see, you went Thomas Hopkins, who is your third wide receiver? Stills, I just, I, I went okay. with, and, and I didn't feel a need, like the, when, when I played Stills and Hopkins together, I didn't feel a need to get Watson, because my oh. 2v2, my 2v2 there, actually, I picked the wrong side of the 2v2. I was considering going, uh, instead of Carr and Kamara, I was going to go Watson and Devonta Freeman. And that would have been much better because I thought Freeman was like like the fourth best, like the right on the edge. But it's like I knew how high owned Kamara would be in cash. And when deciding those things, I'm like, well, I already have Stills and Hopkins. So if like Deshaun Watson throws four touchdowns, it's I'm probably getting those. I'm probably getting a ton of those points anyway. So instead of increasing my variance with the correlation. In my cash lineup, I don't need cash lineups. I'm trying to do the reverse. I'm, I don't want to make it so that the Texans, you know, crap the bed and then I get no points out of all of them. So I didn't feel the need if I was playing Stills and Hopkins that I needed to have lots. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that makes sense. And like, I think with, uh, you know, Fuller out, you could easily see that, uh, you know, all almost all Houston wide receiver production would come through Stills and Hopkins. And I think you kind of got like what you're trying to do in cash by, by getting Hopkins stills like, yes, stills crap the bed, but Hopkins had a great game. And like the alternative is that if stills, you know, has a slightly better game, you're probably getting a little bit less game out of Hopkins. Uh, You know, I think that's where like kind of the negative correlation between those two guys, uh, you know, works in your favor in cash. Like you're, you're unlikely. I don't have to worry about choosing. I just, I don't have to worry about picking the wrong guy. That's why with like the Tampa Bay receivers, I know we'll talk about it with, with Evans being out. But I view them very, very similarly. And and same for like Michael Thomas. To me, I'm on the bandwagon that Michael Thomas is has an as as narrow of a range of outcomes as Christian McCaffrey and should be appraised accordingly. And I don't even care what the defensive matchup is or anything. I look at Michael Thomas at 8,300 and go like he's a priority for my my lineup in cash more than McCaffrey at 10.5. And because only because wide receiver is the most is outside of defense is the most varied position. And when Michael Thomas averages, averages a pro, even if you want to go by prop bets, which you have to assume the sports books have some type of efficiency in their lines. When they're, when the, when the, the even money minus minus one ten whatever prop bet on average for Michael Thomas is nine catches for a hundred and two yards. And then a touchdown equity of like 50%. Like we're we're talking about a we're talking about a median projection of twenty five plus points for a wide receiver that has a narrow range, and he just we don't see those we don't see that at that position by anyone in the league. Yeah, I mean he's got he's got an insane floor at a position that I think is known for not having that too often. So uh, yeah, definitely should have prioritized him more uh, in hindsight. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Back at it this week and. Uh, Let's see, New Orleans not on the main slate, right? So I can't, uh, you know, I can't bungle my uh, handling of Michael Thomas. Yeah, but we have a lot of cheap wide receivers that I think people are going to get lost in. Uh, they, they're going to make great for great GPPs. I mean, we'll get into that. You know, the the, the amount of vomit stacks I can make this slate are abundant. <laughs> so, uh, so it's a matter to me of, of prioritizing them. So let, let's go. Uh, we have thirteen games. We'll go break down game by game. Uh, see, see what. Correlations are coming up uh, through through uh, ASA, and what 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 you like, you don't like. What could be uh, potential ceiling outcomes, potential you know places where people may go that may not have the highest of ceiling or correlative element to it, and then go from there. So let's start with uh, 
Seattle at Carolina. Seattle uh, is favored 27 point implied total for them, 21 for Carolina. Uh, obviously, with Penny now on the IR, uh, Carson should you know see a bulk of more of a bulk of the carry share at least. And then we have a, a, a Carolina team that uh, essentially is is what it was. And but we always have that you know McCaffrey at 10K with a high floor and a high ceiling. So uh, what, what do you see in this game? Yeah, I mean, I think just the thing that's going to jump out uh, to me and probably to most people looking at this game is uh, just the pairing of a uh, pretty superior expected Chris Car- Carson workload uh, with no Rashad Penny and a Carolina rush defense that is, uh, you know, I'd make the case the worst in the league by, by some metrics. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to be a great spot for Carson. Uh, his price is up a little bit, um, but you know, it, it's, it's a great spot. And, and I think he's got, uh, you know, for a guy who at times we've been a little gun shy on him with, you know, potential risk of losing carries to Rashad Penny, if fumbling becomes an issue, like I don't see that being the case this week. And uh, I think he's in an excellent matchup. Um, you know, one thing to, you know, be somewhat aware of it is while uh, Carolina is atrocious at stopping running backs on the ground, uh, they're pretty decent at like funneling volume away from the running back position through the air. And not that that's like a huge part of Chris Carson's game, but it has been a, you know, improved, um, you know, facet of his game so far this year. Um, so, you know, it is worth, uh, you know, considering, I guess, um, you know, Carson, I think kind of the way I would want to play this game is around the script that is suggested by, you know, the spread in total that it's fairly high scoring, but a game that, you know, Seattle can control uh, pretty comfortably. And they're one of these teams that uh, when they're out to a lead, is just going to pound the ball on the ground. Um, you know, we have uh, at ASA a tool that projects how many uh, plays, both run and pass, a team will run. Uh, Seattle is perennially at the uh, top of that list and, uh, you know, each week. And I, I think, you know, if they get out to a good lead, uh, we can expect more of the same. Um you know, I think that actually bodes pretty well for Christian McCaffrey. Like lately he's been getting that kind of, you know, floor that we, that, that kind of really high floor that we've been seeing with him, he's actually been able to achieve as a pass catching running back. So I'm not like too scared about the game, you know, game script, like working McCaffrey out in any way. Um, you know, but I, I think generally like Carson uh, has correlated better with opposing uh wide receivers than he has opposing running backs, not terribly surprising for a running back himself. Uh, so to me, like the most correlated stack would be trying to run Carson and then run back, uh, you know, one of those Carolina receivers, um, you know, Seattle's not like the greatest defense. So I, I do think, you know, there's opportunity to kind of run that uh, build if you want to build around this game. I think a great correlative, a uh, great uh, contrarian, correlative play that is direct leverage off of Chris Carson. Cause I think Chris Carson is going to be popular and I actually think he's going to be overowned. I'm concerned about what you said about the target share of like, if Chris Carson doesn't, let's say Chris Carson gets two targets and one catch, like he doesn't make any different. Like he's Derrick Henry. He's like, he's like this. It limit, it limits his floor. It also limits his ceiling. All, his ceiling is all in touchdown equity more so than in, you know, PPR points. So I think with with Carson being popular, I think the single stack 
Uh, the only reason I don't like it as much because it is expensive. And you know me, I like the cheap vomit stacks. But in the case that, that you know, Carson gets that, that fumble that Pete Carroll doesn't like in the first quarter, I'm mm-hmm. not saying to go with ProSize, but I think a, a, a single stack such as Wilson to Lockett or Wilson to Metcalf for a team total of 27.5, I mean, we're, get, we're coming up with ownership on those receivers at 4 and 5%. And if Tyler Lockett had 150 yards and two touchdowns, like you're not going to be shocked regardless of the game. And you already said the Carolina defense is awful. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's, you know, a, a strong play. And, and I assume if you're kind of building with that in mind, you're going to want to run back someone on Carolina. Cause you know, like I think for, for the Seattle receivers to have the games that you're wanting uh Carolina is going to have to find a way to keep it close. Um, do you have any thoughts on kind of who the, um, you know, who the preferred uh, guys on the Carolina side are that you might want to run back, uh, you know, against the Seattle receiving, uh, I guess, performance? Yeah. The, I mean, the, 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 there's, a, there's one obvious player, but it just, it makes the entire stack size ridiculous, which is McCaffrey, yeah. which you can do, but that's why I said, I don't, I don't like like this is because it's the, the pricing and then who you run it back with like a Samuel because like more is expect more 6,600. So that, that bloats your stack size, but that could happen. Samuel could have one big play, but I mean, the, the floor there is, is low. Uh, and Ian Thomas, if Olsen is out, I could see, okay, that could be a possibility. I'm just, I'm just looking at the pieces of the puzzle going like, I don't really like the puzzle so much, but they're, there, there, there's something there that's possible. It may not be something that I, if I'm playing a hundred lineups that I'm committing a lot of lineups to, but this is the way I'm looking at GPPs in large field for leverage of, I think Carson's going to be overowned. How does Seattle get to their implied team total without Carson doing well? And what are the probabilities of that happening versus their ownership? And even if I don't play, well, maybe I just play Lockett. I maybe, and the Carolina passing attack or they, they keep up and it spreads out. So to everyone, and then like none of those Carolina players hit ceilings, but Lockett has a 150 and two type of game. It could be that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Seattle guys correlate pretty well with uh, opposing receivers and running back on the other side. Uh, Metcalf versus opposing Seattle receivers has a correlation of point four one this year, which is pretty strong. Um you know, so uh, and, and Carolina has a few good, couple good receivers to choose from. So, uh, yeah, I think that's I think that plays to, totally, uh, you know, in play this week. Okay, so the next game, which surprisingly enough, I th- I think it has the highest total. If you would have told me Texans Titans was like a fifty-one total, I would, I would, I would think that I'm in bizarro world or something. But uh, we're gonna have obviously uh, depending on Will Fuller's status. Possibly chalky DeAndre Hopkins. We're going to have chalky Ryan Tannehill, I guess. And I'm assuming based on the previous couple of weeks that, you know, the Tannehill to A.J. Brown combination is pretty strong. But now we have A.J. Brown up at 6K. Like, do you think that the correlation between the two is good enough for, for a larger sample size that, like, Brown has a median high enough to justify a, a 6K price tag. Yeah, I mean, these Tennessee guys really across the board, Tannehill, Brown, Henry, 
are like priced up a lot. And I don't, you know, it's, it's not one of these uh, price ups for matchup. It's uh, you know, a price up just because the team's been playing super well lately uh, does seem like a high to, you know, or it, it is a high total. Uh, <coughs> for me, uh, this Tennessee team feels, <clears throat> I don't know, a bit like, like a bit of a letdown spot. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I think fine letting the field get overweight on, you know, six, five, six, six, uh, <clears throat> Tannehill and AJ Brown, uh, to me that, that like, seems like an okay spot, uh, for, you know, f- that I'm willing to let the field get overweight. Um, yeah, the fuller thing I think is going to be really important to pay attention to. Um, he's got really strong positive correlation with Deshaun Watson. So like when fuller's in play, uh, you know, he and Watson are, <clears throat> I think a really strong stacking consideration. Um, but if Will Fuller's out, I do think it hurts uh, Deshaun Watson. We saw Watson have a good game, mostly on the strength of you know his running last week. But I think in general that Houston offense kind of sputters when Will Fuller's not in the mix. And um, if that's the case again this weekend, I think I'm far more inclined to just go like a naked DeAndre Hopkins as kind of a one-off to an alternative stack. And um, you know, I think I think the presence of Will Fuller isn't negligible for considering Tennessee guys. I mean, Will Fuller is one of the best at the league at putting the ball back in the hands of his opponent at a pretty quick rate. And, uh, you know, I think the Texans offense is going to look distinctly different uh, if Will Fuller's in versus with he, if he's out. Um, and if he's out, I, I do wonder if that uh, is cause for some concern, uh, you know, for just the pace at which, you know, the game's going to be played, the pace at which uh, Tennessee is going to be getting the ball back. You know, with Tannehill, you would like to see – with Tannehill and A.J. Brown, I think you'd prefer for uh, those guys to be playing from behind. And if uh, Houston has a hard time uh, producing on offense, I, I do think it, it could stunt kind of the upside for, for that uh, Tennessee passing attack, especially at the price that they have elevated to. And since it's December, that means you have to play Derrick Henry at any price, right? Like that's, that's, <laughs> is that the rule? Is that the flow chart? I mean, it's December, it, it's Derrick Henry. Just play him. He's going to get an 80 yard touchdown every game. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> it would seem that that's been the case over the last month. Uh, but, you know, we haven't seen Derrick Henry at the price point that he's at. I mean, 8 5 is pretty insane uh, for a guy who, you know, has a limited pass role, uh, you know, is coming off of a bit of an injury. Uh, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure kind of what his, uh, you know, level of health will be for Sunday, but, uh, you know, I'm always a little concerned about a running back who's got lower body uh, issues, even if it's just kind of a pain management thing. Um, but, hey, we do know, I mean, this is a huge game for both teams. I do think, uh, you know, both teams are going to be trying their hardest to win. Um, you know, I, you know, as we start to enter the late in the season, I do think kind of motivation has to be factored in as we're thinking about this. And uh, I think there should be zero motivation questions for this game, which, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, I think a reason to be optimistic. but. Well, let's go on to the next game, or as I call it, the premier game on the slate, at least for me. Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers, visiting Detroit. 24 and a half for uh, Tampa Bay, uh, 21 for Detroit. Uh, we got Winston with a broken finger or something. He's got, he got, he got a hand injury. We got Evans out for the year. We got Marvin Jones out for the year. Uh so we have, uh, I mean, we have Godwin at 7,700. We got Galladay at 7,200 as the top wide receivers. We got uh, David Blau at 5,300. 
Uh, we got Bo Scarborough. I mean, we got running backs that we don't necessarily want to play. They're play to, to quote Cardi. They're playing in a dome. Uh oh, <laughs> they're playing in a dome uh, with a very, you know, we the the, the pass funnel of the Buccaneers as uh, if the funnel exists. I I I eat funnel cakes. I don't know if they exist in football, but and we got these cheapers. We got Amendola, Lacey. We got Perriman, Miller, Watson. We got all these like secondary receivers that are cheap that are stacking candidates with quarterbacks that you know that they, they could throw the ball. Uh, one of the, I mean, I see this game full of correlation. It's like, if this game goes over 45 point per dollar wise, like if you get the right pieces, I don't see how you, how you, how you don't get there. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, the negative correlation of these guys that are injured for me just has me really excited to, uh, you know, think about playing either Godwin or Galladay. I mean, I think we've discussed at length on this show, uh, you know, Tampa Bay has a negative correlation with those receivers when Galladay, uh, or I'm sorry, when, when Evans does really well, Godwin typically does poorly. When uh, Evans does poorly, Godwin typically does well. And like, I sometimes like to think about these injuries as just a case where, you know, receiver X is just doing really poorly, right? They're non-existent. They're not getting the ball. Um, so, you know, if we can chalk Evan, you know, just lock Evans in for quote unquote, not doing well, uh, you know, it, it sets up nicely for Godwin. And um you know, I think he's in a really good spot. Detroit is uh, not so much like a funnel defense. I mean, they're kind of bad everywhere, but uh, you know, they're bad. They're they're uh, you know they're they're allowing uh, a ton of points through the, uh, you know a ton of value through the air and on the ground. Uh, you know, Godwin's a guy I'm you know really really interested in. Um, and then conversely, Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay have that same negative correlation that we see with uh, Godwin Evans. Uh, you know, Jones out, I think Galladay's in a really great spot. I mean, he, he's been doing really well with, uh, David Blau so far. And I think, uh, you know, the, one of the limitations for Galladay in the past, uh, has been just like this Detroit passing attack can kind of get spread out at times, at least when, you know, Stafford was, uh, at the helm, like they would spread it out to Jones and to Amendola and to Galladay. And now with kind of the biggest, uh, piece behind Galladay removed. I mean, I think he's in a great spot. Uh, Amendola, I think also just at four, one is in a really solid spot. Both those guys are kind of at the top of our, uh, or towards the top of our projection system in terms of uh, value. Uh, so those, those are spots I'm really interested in. Uh, Oscarborough is a guy who in previous weeks we've had, uh, actually projected pretty favorably. I mean, he has taken on, uh, just such a massive, uh, amount of Detroit's running role. Uh, the pro- I mean, and, and he's at a great price this week. The, the, you know, the one concern I do have for him is just Tampa Bay's run defense is quite exceptional. Uh, you know, I think the best in the league. And um, I don't know. I think Bo Scarborough at times has struggled with his, uh, you know, efficiency and big playability. I mean, he's uh, kind of this guy that the, the lines have just been running into the line of scrimmage and, you know, hoping to get, uh, you know, three to four yards out of him just about every carry with little, uh, you know, potential for a big uh, – you know, 20 plus 30 plus run. And uh, I think in particular Tampa Bay is going to be just a really tough team uh, for him to find kind of effectiveness with that, uh, you know, playing style and kind of role that he's being used in. Um, So I think with Scarborough, you're shooting mostly for just kind of touchdown equity. Uh, You'd hope that, uh, you know, and I think with, with good confidence, uh, you know, he's going to be getting the ball on the, when Detroit's running the ball, uh, 
inside the five, inside the ten. Um, so I guess that's kind of what you're shooting for there. Which 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 the Lions could have if Winston throws five interceptions and gives them short fields. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's in play. Um, so yeah, I guess what you're, you're thinking you probably go Lions D Scarborough get that running back defense correlation. Uh, and then I could still play Winston. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's actually what's great about Winston is you can you can stack him somewhat unconventionally. Uh, you know, you can play defenses against him. You can play like that defense kind of running back correlated stack. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure you're a little more intrigued on the Blau side, right? That's uh, I feel like kind of uh, yeah, because car- I could run it because I could run it back with Godwin without Winston, and then I could play Blau, uh, Galladay, Amendola. I could even throw in Lacey. I could. I mean, I there's just so many cheap options that that make the stack sizes manageable. That like I could run this game multiple. I could. Hey, I could run Winston without Godwin. I could just play like Paraman and Howard or something like that, or or Watson and ha- like do something like that and just yeah. hope Godwin. You know, Godwin does have a decent has 15 points, but he's like unnecessary at his price. Yeah, uh, I'm pulling up just the correlation between Amendola and Galladay. It's slightly negative. Um, I don't know, but I think you could like make the case that some of these correlations can be thrown out the window when you have, uh, you know, throwing correlations out the window. What show are we on? (laughs) Well, no, no. I mean, I think these are correlations that produce themselves in an environment with Marvin Jones. And I think without Marvin, like, you know, um, I don't know. I, I think, uh, when you have like, uh, you know, a big shift in the personnel and pieces that, an offense is going to be structured around. Uh, I do think, you know, the dynamics of an offense change and sometimes, uh, you know, the way in which players relate to each other and kind of share opportunities could be, you know, could be different. Um, well, the next game, unlike, unlike this the game that we just talked about, I think this game is the next game is going to be popular. Like the, the popular off the board, it's going to turn out to be like the chalky contrarian. If you want to uh, call yeah. it that, uh, that's Miami at, the Giants. Uh, Giants have a 25 implied total. Miami has a 21 and a half implied total. Uh, we got, uh, I, I'm assuming, Eli at, at quarterback now. We got Miami that seems to, they may not have any wide receivers left or something. And uh, the Giants are, are, for the most part, healthy. And we have what perceives to be, based on a 25-point home total, as a underpriced Saquon Barkley. But I know the last time that I hosted the show, we talked about whether or not Barkley was dust. So uh, so with the fact that the Giants typically don't have this high of an implied total, and like Barkley has gotten the touches, just that it hasn't turned into production. Do you think that this, like, like there, there are pieces here, like across the board on the Giants receiving core, like they're cheap enough to stack. Sterling Shepard, Slayton, Tate, but I just there's there's t- to me there's too many options. Like if you take a shot, so I'm more inclined to like just ride Saquon in this game, and then on the the Miami side, like if if, if Parker's if Parker goes, it's quite possible. Just I don't even want anyone on this side. And if Parker doesn't go, then I'd be more inclined to like look at Isaiah Ford or or Mike Gazeki. But like, do I want to play an over six K Ryan Fitzpatrick? And when, when 
he's going to be more popular than when I know. Normally, I'm a Fitzpatrick guy. The whole lane, half the season, I've been playing him. But he's been mm-hmm. almost 5K. And the receivers, Devontae Parker has been 4,700. So, like, now that it's very similar to the Tannehill and A.J. Brown situation with the Titans. Like, do you want to pay these prices for Dolphins? The only Dolphin that I, I'm willing to pay the price for is, truthfully, uh, the, 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 quote, joke of the uh, fantasy community, Patrick Laird. Yeah, I mean, I, I would kind of like to see Devontae Parker go. I mean, these two teams both are, you know, beatable on the outside. Like, uh, you know, the 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 Giants are actually, like, I, I'm not, I mean, I guess I get the Laird sensation. Like, his his volume has really been awesome. And at 4-5, I mean, the guy, I think, is projectable for about, you know, 70-plus running back carries. And, you know, has a, a good role carved out in the passing game. Um, what I'm not convinced of, though, is that it's like a great matchup for him. Uh, I think, you know, the Giants you, are... Does, does, does our Laird and Savior need a matchup? Does it matter? <laughs> does I it mean, really matter? He's matchup proof. I mean, the, the Giants are allowing the six fewest, you know, fantasy points per rush attempt, uh, you know, adjusted for opponents. And, uh, I mean, I think a lot of Laird's volume is going to come on the ground. Um, I think really a big question, though, like I, I'm struggling with what the correct answer is too is uh you know Laird's had pretty tough matchups uh against you know good run stopping teams uh New York Jets um you know I forget who they were playing before but uh you know so I I, I do kind of wonder uh you know I'm gonna have to think about if we want to like boost his efficiency a little bit uh uh you know thinking that maybe he he's uh you know is on the ground efficiency is a little better than uh you know we've seen but um Anyway, sorry to get back to, to kind of where I would like to attack this game. It's through the air and with the receivers and uh, with the quarterback, particularly Eli Manning. Um, I mean, we were just talking about, uh, you know, Derek Carr at 5,000, uh, you know, as a cheap guy. And uh, Eli Manning, for me, seems like that that cheap, cheap uh, quarterback option this week. Uh, I mean, Miami's just been a great matchup for all quarterbacks, uh, except for maybe Sam Darnold last week. But uh, I don't know. I mean, Eli showed a pulse on Monday night. Uh, you know, he, uh, Slayton looks solid. Uh, and he, to me, seems like the type of player that, you know, can beat this, uh, Miami team on the outside. You know, he, uh, you know, works, works on the outside. Uh, Miami, uh, just has a really poor tackling secondary right now. And I, I think, uh, you know, his ability to create yards after the catch are going to be in play. And, um, you know, also just like one thing with Eli is, uh, you know, I think at least in the games I've watched of the Giants, like, he gets done in by just pressure and, you know, he does like these kind of like Eli self sacks. Uh, Miami is just atrocious at generating pressure on the quarterback, which I think really bodes favorably for, for Eli. Um, so I don't know. I, I would love to see Parker play. And if he does, um, well, sorry, I'd love to see Parker do whatever is right, you know, for him and his health, but uh, you know, from a, from a kind of fantasy performance standpoint, like uh, you know, if we could get Parker in and just give uh, you know, Miami, options that are going to allow that offense to uh, you know keep up and kind of push the Giants not to go uh, Saquon run heavy I mean I love the idea of going like Eli Slayton uh, you could even mix in some Eli Saquon just uh, you know given Saquon's we would hope role in the passing game and trying to run it back with uh, Dolphins receiver and to me Devontae, uh, Devontae Parker rather uh, you know seems like the most uh, kind of adequate receiver on, on Miami and with the you know most ability to push that offense, uh, you know, keep pace with the Giants and kind of push them to not become one-dimensional if they're leading. Well, let's talk about the other Devontae in the next game. (laughs) Bears, Packers, 
22 for the Packers, 18 and a half for the Bears. It's a 40 and a half total. Uh, I don't know how much time we're going to spend on this game. Is, is it just like Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, and then just don't worry about I mean, like what? I mean, obviously, Rodgers to Adams is, is correlative. Sure. Yeah. You feel free to take a shot at any of the secondary receivers. Chicago is down receivers. So, like, but are they really anything worthwhile? And then you always have Montgomery, who against the Packers defense, I'm not, I mean, with an 18 and a half total, I'm not thrilled about. And then you have Jones and Williams, who Jones should have the upside, but then he ends up with 55% of the work, and you don't know if he could turn that into anything. So yeah, I don't I mean, view this as a very appealing game. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, I don't really need to spend too much time talking about Devontae Adams. Like, uh, yeah, both teams are well correlated. Um, you know, I've actually, I think, been fairly inclined to play the Bears, especially as of late. Like, they, they, those receivers and Trubisky correlate quite well. But, yeah, I mean, just at a 40-point game total, there's not much here. Uh, you know, I do think uh, Jamal Williams is at an intriguing price, uh, 4.2. Like, that's really low for him. He's, uh, you know, showing up towards the top of our, uh, you know, value sorting uh, at running back. And, uh, you know, he does have pass-catching upside. Uh, I do think one area you can attack Chicago, uh, you know, is at running back. Uh, they're allowing the fifth-highest running back catch rate in the league. Um you know, I uh, that might be one area I'm looking, but uh, purely as kind of like a one-off uh, salary relief play. And I don't know, to be honest, this doesn't feel like a week where we're really struggling to find salary relief. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, this game, not doing too much for me. So moving on to the next game, we got Denver. 18 implied total. Traveling to Kansas City. 27 and a half implied total. Uh, I think the main question in this game is uh, – questioning why Sammy Watkins has a median projection that's not zero. Like, well, I don't, I don't get why should it, shouldn't it be zero? Does he do anything anymore? Because if you told me that the, the, the before that the chiefs have a 27 and a half total and Sammy Watkins is 4,900, like why he's 1% owned. Like, why am I not pairing him in Mahomes and Kelsey? And why am I make, not making the Mahomes stack uh, at home against Denver with this total? And then on the other side, uh, I mean, you got Lindsay, you got Sutton, but I mean, with that low of a total, I mean, I guess it's correlative to a Mahomes stack if they if their their offense, you know, has these sixty yard plays. Uh, I don't think this game will be popular, but if you if you told me the Chiefs put up fifty points, it's not like I'm ever shocked with the with the weapons that they have. So should I be over on the Chiefs, or or are, are there too many expensive? negatively correlated elements that just the price is going to be too high. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the Kansas city passing attack, I think is kind of, uh, you know, filled with negative correlation. It's kind of a uh, cannibalistic passing attack where, uh, you know, Kansas city is going to air the ball out. Uh, you know, I think like, like teams that we see have positive correlation between their receiving pieces. Um, Seattle is like the one that comes to mind for me. Like those guys, uh, Metcalf and Lockett succeed together in tandem because uh you know seattle has uh like the success of their passing game is is largely hinged on just like how much do they pass um so like when seattle is put in a game where they have to pass a lot uh you know both those guys are prone to see kind of elevated performance uh kansas city is pretty pass heavy um and just they have a lot of i think uh you know weapons and i i do think it uh 
you know, becomes a tough team to figure out. Uh, for me, like Kelsey is just the most consistent, has the most stable role there, and I think has good uh, correlation with Mahomes historically. Uh, so if I were going to try to stack the Kansas City side, that's probably where I'd be going. Um, you know, Detroit, uh, so Denver rather is kind of confusing at tight end. Like they're allowing really low uh, per opportunity efficiency to tight end, but they're also allowing – uh, you know, an elevated number of opportunities to tight end in terms of targets and air yards. Um, so, you know, if we think Kelsey's a guy that can kind of, uh, you know, be somewhat matchup proof and just not be, uh, not have his efficiency weighed down by a strong defense. Uh, you know, if we, if we had a kind of an elevated opportunity game for Kelsey uh, could be a pretty good spot there. Uh, that, that's probably the spot I'd be most keying in on. Um, Do we on avoid camp- the running backs? I mean, with Spencer Ware now getting, ca- I mean, like, is, is any of the running backs, I know that they're all under 5K, and with this team total, I mean, I guess they have they, they have touchdown equity, but are you going to know which one it is? Yeah, I, I think t- to me, uh, you know, confusing backfields are typically ones I'm trying to avoid, uh, like New England backfield. Uh, until recently, and, you know, we can talk about New England backfield when we get there, but uh, historically, like, these, uh, you know, muddled backfields are ones that I, I want to avoid. Uh you know, there's kind of this three-headed backfield now where it's just uh, really unclear who's going to get the carries on any given day. And Andy Reid seems pretty mercurial with how he wants to, you know, divvy up his, uh, you know, opportunities at running back. So probably stay away spot for me. And what do you think of the opposite side? I mean, Drew Locke had a great game last game, but it's an 18-point total. I mean, he's uh, looking at the price. He's 5700 you could pair him with Sutton. I mean, like that's, I, I look at it as a single stack. Like to me, it's like Locke, Sutton, and then like Hill or Kelsey back. But I mean, to me, the price for that three combined is high enough where why don't I just play Mahomes instead in that stack than pay 5,700 for Drew Locke? Cause I could always take a cheap defense in my lineup instead of taking Locke. I don't, I don't view this game as the game where if it goes off, Locke has a higher score than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not like Locke's 4,600. If he was like that cheap, right. then it's a different story. But I mean, yeah. he's priced, he's priced 5,700, like, like an average quarterback on this slate. So yeah. like, I just, I just don't see the ceiling being different enough that like, I think Denver's going to put up, if this game's going to be 34, 30, like if that happens, I'm more inclined to like use Lindsay then use like a lock Sutton or lose Sutton as a one-off, like as a Mahomes stack, then, then do the lock Sutton combination. Yeah. Um, I don't know. One, one guy, not so much a quarterback that I'm paying attention to on Denver is Cortland Sutton. I mean, he's already projecting pretty well for us um, on value. And that's with Noah Fant uh, kind of locked in as active. Uh, I'm not sure if we've gotten any more clarity on his injury situation, but uh you know, if he's inactive, like Corland Sutton has been awesome since Emmanuel Sanders departed. And, uh, you know, the only other guy I think who's kind of had consistent big volume uh, for Denver is Noah Fant. And if he's out, uh, I think, you know, we could, we, we've seen in the past, you know, Cortland Sutton be really effective at soaking up uh, opportunity from, you know, departed players. Uh, you know, if we, uh, you know, have a game where no offense out. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked if Cortland Sutton is able to uh, just continue to soak up even more of the Denver uh, passing opportunities. Uh, he's a guy I'm pretty interested in, uh, especially if that fan news breaks uh, a certain way. 
Well, you were talking about a running back murky situation. We we get to the next game. New England, 25.75 implied total currently. Cincinnati at home, 15. I mean, it's one of it's the lowest, I think. Uh, as with uh, Cincinnati's horrible. I mean, we all know that. Uh, as with the Patriots, you know, they could attack teams in different ways, different weeks. Is the only viable target that you could can put any any type of confidence in Julian Edelman at 7100 and then I also want to comment on what's been ha- like I don't think anyone's been noticing that Joe Mixon is going like minimally owned oh, every week and then putting up 20 plus points no matter who they're facing he, he's going ham I mean right but every but I'm talking I mean we're talking about he's that owned he had one seven-point game against Pittsburgh, but like 20, 17, 7, 17, 30. And this is coming with like a grand total of three touchdowns. So like we're not talking about absurd. It's just that he's getting so many touches. He's getting nearly over, I mean, 27 touches, 23 touches, 18, 18, 33, 21. That I know, like to me, I guess he's 6,100 now. He's not 4,700. But if he's going to be two percent owned, and the, and the since and the Bengals are going to just use him regardless, like how how is the how is that not how is the Mixon Edelman combination not like correlative not only to just ceiling but just the floor just like Edelman has a great floor and it seems like Mixon has a great floor and you would think that if Edelman does well the Bengals have the ball back like you you would have to think that's correlative am I right here? Yeah, I, I think uh, there's two kind of – I think Edelman's got, like, an insane floor. And, you know, regardless of game flow, just the way that he's getting used in the passing game, um, I think he's, you know, in a good spot. And I'm not too worried about, you know, the game scripting him out. The potentially correlative piece that I am – that I would, like, love to play, um, but I am concerned about him getting scripted out is James White. I think a James White versus Joe Mixon uh, – you know, I think you rarely see like opposing running backs uh, correlate well, but to me, this seems like a spot where we could see that. Um, my concern just is like it. You're right. It's in, in Mixon has been great. His fault. We're projecting him for like 84% uh, rush attempt share. I just am going to continue to respect the new England defense. They're really, really stout against the pass and run. And, and also uh, they're very good at videography they're very good at like uh they're very, yeah. they're very good at that also <laughs> and i mean this is belichick's classic we're on to we're on to cincinnati uh, game but i don't know it does feel like um you know one a, a spot where i'm kind of willing to trust the spread here and i do think it's just going to be really tough uh for cincinnati to keep pace uh you know with with uh New England. And, um, you know, I, I could, uh, see like a guy like James White who in the right, you know, game flow, I think would be an awesome, uh, play. Uh, but it's just like if New England's, you know, up two scores early and it's just coasting, uh, you know, he, he's a guy whose volume has been strongly correlated to the performance of the team. So he's been playing, he's been running well recently. Um, New England's been losing though. And I just can't really see that happening this week against Cincinnati. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Mixon has been incredible and kind of been flying under the radar. Uh, it just, to me, feels like a pretty tough spot for him. And um, 
you know, I, I think uh, for me, I just would rather have a matchup where Cincinnati can stay a little more competitive than I'm expecting them to uh, stay this game. Right. I'm all, if you told me Mixon was like 8% or 10% owned, I, I wouldn't be talking about him. But when I'm seeing projection of 2%, like I think he has a better than that likelihood of getting 20 plus points. Yeah. Why not I mean, play him? Yeah. For tournaments, uh, you know, I suppose you could build some lineups on the assumption that Mixon's able to keep this game close, uh, you know, and run back and Edelman run back at James White kind of thing. Okay, let's go to the next game, which has the lowest total on the board. Yet, I still have I still have plenty of interest because I look and it feels like I'm going to I'm going to one of those like cheap buffet places where it's like all you can eat and it's only five ninety nine, and that's Philadelphia at Washington, twenty one and a half implied total for the Eagles, seventeen for the Redskins, and uh, no one is no one is expensive in this game, and everyone sucks. So it's beautiful. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the the Eagles have no receivers, possibly. Uh, You got Ertz at tight end at 6K. That is obviously going to have to get a a large portion of the market share. We have quarterbacks that are cheap enough, I guess. Like, try to convince me not to play like a Wentz-Ertz-McLaurin type of stack and maybe throw in some, hey, maybe throw in some, like, Adrian Peterson into the mix <laughs> at 4,400 uh, with, with guys out or Thompson at 39. I mean, the problem with this game is that like the production, even though everyone's cheap, the production could go anywhere. So you'd have to make like the right combination, but you have to admit it's cheap enough that as, as you've said on past shows, like it's not a matter that this total is 38 and a half. It's a matter that, there is, there are a certain percentage of outcomes and not like a small percentage where each team gets one extra touchdown, right? Where that, where it ends up being a 48 total and not a 38 total. And that at these prices, like the correlations get there and then you're able to just like build the best plays around. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, the viability of, uh, you know, this stacking, uh, you know, this game is going to depend in large part on what you can do with the extra pieces. But I mean, I think there's a lot to like here. It's, uh, you know, it, it's a low game, but it's, I think, priced so. Uh, I mean, Zach Ertz, like, I think is in a really great spot this week. I mean, no Aguilar, no Jeffrey. Deshaun Jackson's been gone forever. Like, uh, you're I not mean, scared he, of Greg Ward? You're not scared <laughs> of Greg Ward? I'm not scared of him taking targets away from Ertz. I mean, I, but I think you could play both. Like, uh, Greg Ward got a lot of looks uh, that last game. He just didn't do much of them and got stopped, uh, you know, at the one yard line on one of those catches. Like, I think Greg Ward's in a great spot. Um, you know, he's, I think, probably our highest projected, uh, you know, men price guy. Uh, Ertz is actually projecting as our top value tight end. Like, I think there's a lot to like, uh, you know, on, on the Philly side for the price. Uh, and I mean, Terry McLaurin's a guy I want to talk about. Like he is, I think in a really good spot, uh, you know, Philadelphia, we had talked in previous shows about maybe their past defense looking a little better, but I think in the last couple of weeks they have, you know, I don't know, regressed or yeah, probably just regressed to like, what's probably a pretty bad mean. Um, and I mean, the knock on McLaurin, right. Is Dwayne Haskins. And, uh, you know, I think we have seen, uh, you know, McLaurin's catch rate is, is way down, uh, or I guess started way down uh, relative to kind of his catch rate with, uh, 
Case Keenum in week 12, he had a 41% catch rate, but he has been climbing each week, you know, week 13, he caught half of his balls, only two targets. Uh, week 14, you know, he's catching 57% of his balls. I mean, he's just been on the rise in terms of his, uh, you know, I think catch rate and what I would assume to be just kind of, uh, you know, mojo with Dwayne Haskins. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think Terry McLaurin's an awesome spot at five, three, uh, you know, he torched Philadelphia earlier this year. And um I mean, he, he's, he's actually showing, I think, as our top value receiver at the moment. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to hold, uh, you know, high value in our, in our system uh, as the week progresses. Like, I think he's in a great spot. I mean, the guy's getting insane, uh, in particular, his air yards usage is like. Oh, and, uh, oh you, can't, you, can't, you can't argue with the air yards. <laughs> I, pay, I pay my rent in air yards. That's what I, I, I do. I, I pay I pay paying in air money i'm like it's unrealized money landlord but uh but it's coming i'm I telling mean, you regression is got i will send you the regression when it comes the, i mean look they are i would say you know a Dwayne haskin air yard is probably one of the least valuable uh denominations of air yards but uh i mean the guy's getting over 40 percent of his team's air yards like he is the you know the guy in washington um and I don't know, I just, I, it, it, the data would suggest that, uh, you know, his efficiency with Haskins is on the rise and uh, that Philadelphia secondary, I mean, can't tackle anyone like, and uh, anyone it, ever that <laughs> they'll never, they'll, they'll get a touchdown every play. <laughs> right. That's I, what that means. Right. Yeah. I'm being a bit hyperbolic here, but um, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think McLaurin's in a great spot. Uh, you know, the guy, the guy's going to get a lot of volume, uh, good matchup. I mean, 5,300 is, the lowest we've seen him, I think, in recent weeks. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm liking McLaurin a lot. Um, I think in cash and uh, in tournaments, got huge upside. So, okay, then the next game seems like it should be appealing, but I don't think it is. Minnesota at the Chargers, which essentially doesn't mean that it's a home game at all. But uh, Minnesota twenty three and a half total, Chargers twenty two. Thielen is, I mean, he's going to play. He's he's healthy. He's back healthy. Uh, the Chargers. You know, have everyone available, Allen, Henry, Williams, Gordon, Eckler. Uh, you know, Diggs is there for the Vikings. Uh, Dalvin Cook is is fine. Like, I think every, I think pretty much everyone in this game is kind of priced efficiently. Maybe, I mean, you could make a case for Allen, maybe make a case for Thielen. But, like, correlatively, like, I just don't see pairing any of these guys up with one another at the prices that make it worth it in GPPs. Yeah, it, it, it seems like a t- uh, kind of a weird spot. I mean, uh, with feeling back that Minnesota passing attack becomes a little more difficult to project. Uh, you know, one guy I've been pretty interested in the past is uh, old BC Johnson. And I, I mean, he's like totally phased out if, you know, Thielen returns. Um, you know, both teams are pretty good at uh, moving targets or, uh, you know, whether or not the defenses are moving targets away or offenses are choosing to move targets away from, uh, their wide receivers against both teams. And, you know, that's kind of like the position we want to, you know, build our correlation through is, you know, some sort of wide receiver quarterback pairing, um, you know, in particular though, they're actually funneling targets away from uh wide receiver and towards uh, tight ends. Um, Minnesota's got a bit of a, you know, crowded tight end situation, but I think, you know, the chargers are one of the teams that, have really no complications at tight end. So I think Hunter Henry is in an interesting spot. Um, um, I have to check kind of, you know, his price and see what, uh, you know, 
like, what is he at? Yeah, 5'2". I mean, it's not a terrible price point. It, it does seem, though, like I, I would much rather pay to get up to Ertz um, or Kittle than, uh, you know, Henry at 5'2". Or, or, you know, I'd, or I'd rather go down, uh, you know, to the threes or something. So, yeah, I don't know. Not a game I'm too interested in. Uh, you know, the Dalvin Cook thing, um, Minnesota seems pretty content to uh, – you know, chop up some of his usage among, uh, you know, mostly Alex Madison and, and some of CJ Ham. So, uh, you know, kind of a spot I want to stay away from. Uh, you know, we saw the Chargers running backs get real hot last week. I think for me, like that was against Jacksonville. I'm not convinced that like that's a unit that is just, you know, smash every week kind of thing. Uh, I think, you know, they have a much tougher draw against Minnesota. So not, uh, you know, a spot I'm too interested in. Okay, the next game I think is going to be the most popular game on the slate. Browns, 26 implied total. At Arizona, 23 implied total. Uh, We got uh, Kyler Murray, who seems, uh, from a cash game perspective, to be probably the top option, I think, on the slate with his his rushing floor. Uh, We got Landry at 6,700. We got Kirk Sealing at 5,500. I mean, you got, you got, you know, the Chubb, Hunt, uh, Drake, everything. I could tell you that I'm going to be under this game, but I understand that to me, this game has a lot of ceiling, but I think the range of outcomes of this entire game is much wider than people think. Gotcha. I didn't realize, uh, I don't know. I didn't perceive this as a potentially popular game. I was thinking. Now, I could tell you that Landry is going to be popular. I, Kirk's going to be all the, I, I look at ownership projections. I'm looking at other projection models. I'm, I'm listening to other industry podcasts. Gotcha. Uh, like Landry's got, I mean, they're going to be several cash game pieces in this. And typically, obviously cash game pieces tends to be owned in, in GPPs. But I mean, yeah. I see the, the correlations are there, you know, Murray to Kirk and Mayfield to Landry. Uh, I mean, like, I, I get it. It's just that I look at the ownership on a 13 game slate of these correlations and it's not like they're cheap, cheap. I mean, they're reasonably priced. They probably slightly underpriced, but versus I, I look at two offenses that it'd be like, are you going to rely on the Cardinals offense? Like with a gun to your head? No. Are you going to rely on the Browns offense with a gun to your head? No. So that's why like it's a 49 total. But if you told me this game was like 42 to 34, like I'd believe you. And if you told me the game was 14 to nine, and I looked at, oh, Cardinals, Browns, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at that either. Yeah, it does seem like two underperforming offenses. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, for, for me, like these, uh, you know, the, these uh, receiving pieces are projecting pretty well, uh, really on both sides, uh, you know, led by, by Kirk and, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry. Odell is a guy I think probably just going to continue to avoid. Uh, I know he's at a good price tag, but uh, I mean, at this point, like Landry is just so far surpassed him in terms of his production and kind of having, uh, you know, just the best, the better role in the Cleveland offense. That, like, I don't know. So I, I think the value's there. Um, it's interesting. I, I hadn't, I didn't kind of consider this as being a super high, uh, you know, owned game, but I'm probably less in tune with, uh, you know, that side of, you know, things and content than, than you are, um, you know, one guy, we, we've been talking a lot about the receiving pieces, like one guy that in our model is showing up quite well. And, you know, I do think there's probably some, uh, you know, he's being elevated a little bit by holding on to some of his 
metrics from when he was with a former team. But uh, I mean, Kenyon Drake projects pretty well for us. Uh, you know, I think he's at a pretty nice uh, price tag and, um, you know, would love to see him be used uh, substantially in the passing game. And, uh, you know, if we can project Cleveland to, uh, you know, be leading a little bit uh, in this game, like I think Kenyon Drake is in a pretty interesting spot. Could be a leverage play off of like Christian Kirk. Um, I think Larry Fitzgerald, I mean, our, our models like him and I know models have liked him for a lot of this year and he's just kind of been, uh, you know, pretty bad, but uh, I think, you know, could be an interesting leverage pay. I mean, he's, he's super cheap this week, uh, you know, so I think uh, could be an interesting option off of Christian Kirk, but uh, yeah, in general, I mean, the, the, the receivers on both sides uh, are projecting pretty well for us. I think they're, you know, strong in cash. Uh, yeah. I guess there's a decision to be made in terms of ownership uh, around their viability in tournaments, but uh, I think you raised some good points with, potential letdown spot for both these offense. I mean, both, both teams have been, uh, you know, want to let down, I guess, uh, so far in 2019. Now on to the next game, a game that I'm, I'm now with the news that has come out during this show. I'm sal I'm, I'm salivating still. I'm sal I'm salivating. This flavor <laughs> coming out of my mouth. Jacksonville at Oakland, Jacksonville, 19 and a half implied total Oakland, 26 implied total. Uh, DJ Chark has just been ruled out. Okay. For uh, for for the Sunday, uh, we got uh, Westbrook at forty six hundred at wide receiver. We got Conley at thirty six hundred at wide receiver. We got Keelan Cole at three thousand. Uh, you could even consider Nick O'Leary at tight end at thirty one hundred. Uh, Gardner Minshew's fifty five hundred, and uh, he does have some rushing ability. Yeah. Uh. The stack of Minshew and two of these wide receivers uh, is really cheap. And uh, the run, like, uh, I'll, let's talk about the correlation first. But there, there's a particular run back that I have to see what happens in today and tomorrow's practice. But it's going to be one of the running backs that I may be most overweight with the field, in, in addition to another running back that's coming up in the next game that I think not a lot of people are going to play despite like a pristine matchup. Yeah. You don't think a lot of people are going to play Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Because of the injury, because of really? the, the injury considerations, because I would he, love, he was I would love to be out. Yeah. I would love for not a lot of people to play Josh Jacobs. I, I, mean, I guarantee with Carson. Like, no, no, no. Stu with Carson at 7,500. Yeah. Carson I know. At 70, look at all those seven K guys in that range. Like there's no way you add there's Jacobs is going to be low owned, even if you told me that he was like fully healthy and no one knows any different other than he's just he's a seven K running back and he's healthy. Now yeah. just tell me that he has shoulder in, uh, uh, maybe uh, people will go maybe he'll, DeAndre Washington will get more, but there's there's a there's a situation where Josh Jacobs plays eighty percent of the snaps and runs for hundred eighty yards and three oh. touchdowns against the Jaguars defense. Yeah, I mean he it's an incredible spot for him. Uh, that's pro- like yeah, I think this is a really really interesting game and. I think, you know, I would just want to build lineups around the assumption of just Josh Jacobs smash game, you know, getting 70 to 80 percent of, uh, you know, rushes. Like, I think, you know, without any injury concerns, we could pretty easily project. Um, and I think there's some interesting ways you could run it back. Uh, D.D. Westbrook is probably where I, I would want to start uh, pairing with Gardner Minshew. Uh, you know, with with Chark out, we, we've been projecting uh, Jacksonville receivers under the assumption that Chark's been out and 
D.D. Westbrook's, I think, our, our uh, you know, second second most valuable receiver at the moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, Oakland's super gettable on the outside with receiver. Um, so I think a really good spot to attack. Uh, you know, I think another game similar to the New England um, game where I'm actually interested in running running back versus running back. I mean, Leonard Fournette has, uh, you know, produced a ton of value as a pass catcher. And Oakland has a pretty good um, – you know, run defense on the ground, you know, they're middle of the pack in terms of, you know, per rush attempt allowance, they are like awful against running back through the air, allowing the second most opponent adjusted fantasy points per running back target behind only Detroit. And like of those two teams, and then who's third, it's like not even close. I mean, they're allowing on average an extra, you know, half fantasy point per running back target uh, compared to players, you know, previous average. And like, if you could, you know, in, in aggregate, just slap like half an extra fantasy point on top of every Leonard Fournette, uh, you know, target, like in such a great spot. I mean, we're, we're projecting Leonard Fournette really highly. And uh, I, I do wonder with, you know, with Carson, um, you know, with with kind of the, the desire to get up to McCaffrey um, in previous weeks. And I think, you know, the same desire is warranted this week. Like I do think uh, Josh Jacobs and Fournette are likely to go underowned and I think both of them are in really awesome spots um that, that's kind of how I'm looking at this game really with those three guys the two running backs uh and DD and yeah just given price point like uh you know Keelan Cole uh Mike Mike Connolly's actually projecting pretty well for us um you know, uh, yeah, there's some cheap receiver pieces I think that, that are worth considering as well right uh, you you, you get me some dollar store wide receivers and I love it yeah uh next any- game any, I'm just curious, any other Oakland pieces outside of Jacobs you're thinking about, or is it mostly Waller a like, tight end is always yeah. an option. I mean, like, it, it just, it's just a matter. I, I look at a 7K uh, running back that has, you know, that there's 26 implied total. And, uh, you know, that's why I said looking at Friday and Saturday's practice, that to make sure that it's like, oh, no, he's going to go. Like, I want people to think that, like, DeAndre Washington is going to get half the, hey, there's an outcome where he does get half the carries. So yeah. be it. But this I mean, if he's going to be two percent, Jacobs is going to be two, three percent owned and he correlates with a cheap Jacksonville passing stack. Like I, I like, how do I, how do I turn that down? I, yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> if it fails, it fails. But I mean, I don't know how I don't, I, I can't turn that down. Yeah. No, just no, like, no. just like in the next game, Rams at Cowboys. 24.75 for the Rams, 23.75 for the Cowboys. Uh, yes, we have correlation. Prescott with Cooper and Gallup, and we got Zeke in the game. We got Woods. We got Higby still underpriced at 3,900. Can you tell me a reason other than ownership, which I'm not, currently Jamino has him at 25%, which I don't even think it's going to be that high. Uh, if you look at the past four weeks outside of the game that they got completely blown out, by the Ravens. Uh, Todd Gurley has gotten like 20 plus touches and four plus targets. And he's $6,000. He's getting, I mean, yes, it's not the 30 that he was getting at the prime, like last year or whatever, but the Rams have a 20, nearly a 25 total. And he's been getting five plus red zone attempts in all of these games. Why isn't Todd Gurley the best running back value on the entire slate? Yeah, I mean, I think he's awesome. I guess why he's not the best value is, uh, I don't know, for me, they're just, 
like I actually really like, you know, Fournette and Jacobs probably a little bit more, but I think, yeah, Todd Gurley's great. Like I think, uh, you know, really uh, different way of, I mean, I don't know how, like, I mean, all these guys are, you know, guys that people know are, are pretty strong. I don't know how different it'll be, but like, you know, I think there will be an inclination to kind of split uh, running back spend, uh, you know, high and low, pretty much go like McCaffrey and then a Laird or a Kenyon Drake or whatever. Uh, you know, I think kind of one different approach could be to, you know, just go middle of the pack with everyone and just go, I mean, Gurley Fournette Jacobs to me is looking like, uh, you know, an awesome. Uh, we'll split the million dollars, <laughs> dude. We'll split it. Come on. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like in tournaments, traditionally, I don't love playing running back in the flex, but with Fournette and Gurley's, you know, involvement in the pass game, I do think they're, you know, slightly more viable options uh, in terms of kind of a three running back build. You got um, Barkley. You got Barkley also. Yeah, you yeah. That's, about Barkley. That's Come true. On. That's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know what's going to end up happening if we do that? Patrick Laird, forty point ceiling game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, I, I you know, Laird's Laird's volume is is really something to be happy with. But like these guys have, you know, the volume that Laird has probably better uh, are in better matchups and are just like, you know, I think better players like just have way more touchdown upside. Uh, and equity, like more touchdown floor. Uh, yeah, Gurley, I mean, I, I love a lot. He, he's projecting fourth in value uh, for us at running back and um, I think is in a really good spot, you know, been getting a ton of usage. Uh, you know, the, the, the total is, I think, good for him. Uh, so I think, yeah, good guy to build around in this game. Uh, he's, he's and you, could, you could correlate, I mean, you could correlate him with like Gallup or Cooper. You don't even need the quarter. You don't need Dak in the lineup. You don't need, I mean, you don't need Goff in the lineup, but I mean, I think, that a game where where Gurley has twenty three plus touches and two touchdowns and a hundred yards, like I think one of these to like sixty five hundred fifty seven hundred for Gallup and Cooper, like I think it's quite possible one of these two guys have a hundred yard, one touchdown type of game. Yeah. So so um, I don't know. Is, is there are, are is there a side you're leaning towards in terms of uh you know trying to build an air stack? Um, like I don't know. Is, is Gurley golf a LA wide receiver tight end off the table for you or is that is that in play I probably I probably stay away from it only because I just don't they're not used I from from what I gather he's getting four five targets but he's not getting like nine targets. Yeah. he's not like the opportunity of that it's a 13 game slate like if there was a five game slate sure like I, I'd be more inclined to have those types of stacks but I think it's more the fact of like if they get in the red zone if they're in the within the 10 yard line like it's not it's not going to be a swing pass to Gurley that gets it's going to be a rush. So yeah. like I'd rather not limit my ceiling at the quarterback position. That I'd rather I'd rather I'd rather play Dak in that stack than play golf. If yeah. I or just I play a different stack. Like I'm I would play Gallup Gurley as the correlation, but then have a stat have the the, the Jacksonville Jacobs stack. You know that type of stack around that secondary correlation. Yeah. I guess, you know, if we're thinking Gurley, you know, if you do think he's going to be, you know, quarter of the field ownership, uh, like Robert Woods, I mean, has been really great. Uh, Tyler Higby has really filled into this Gerald Everett role and maybe even expanded on it. Uh, you know, we got to see if Everett's injured, but or if he's out this week. Uh, but if he is, like, I do, you know, think that going uh, golf Woods, uh, Higby, could be an interesting way to get off of Gurley if uh you know if you if you think ownership's going to be uh you know excessive on Gurley but uh independent of ownership totally with you I think he's a really great play this week okay last game on the slate 
Atlanta traveling to San Francisco. Atlanta with a 19 implied team total. San Francisco with the highest implied team total on the slate of 29 and a half. If I told you the 49ers had the highest implied team total on the slate and I don't feel like I need to play any of their players, would you call me crazy? Uh, no, I mean, I think it's, you know, a pretty, uh, you know, chopped up share of, you know, value uh, or, you know, fantasy goodness on that team. Uh, you know, and I think it's tough to figure out. Um, the one guy I think who does just have a really consistent role with San Francisco is uh, George Kittle. Uh, you know, and I think he's a really good play. I think, you know, paying up a tight end at times is, is you know, a good contrarian move. Um, I don't know. Mostert, I'm personally pretty interested in Mostert. Uh, you know, his, his efficiency has been great. Um, and, you know, if we can – like I, I think I think he has a, a, a lower floor in terms of you know opportunity share than uh, you know some of these other guys priced you know slightly below him or uh, like you know Patrick Laird or Kenyon Drake uh, or even you know up at, at Todd Gurley um, but that's just like because of Shanahan's kind of volatility and how he handles the running back opportunities and uh, you know I think. Uh, I'm not really sure that people are going to be scared away from Mostert on, you know, with that, uh, you know, opportunity uncertainty, but uh, I think he's, you know, a pretty strong play in tournaments. uh, You know, if you just want to build lineups uh, that, you know, work under the assumption that he's going to get, you know, uh, the vast majority of San Francisco touches. Yeah. But I think that he's overowned. Currently he's projected to be 12% owned. Okay. And to me on 13 game slate, 12% owned for a guy that has that much uncertainty. Like, give me Joe Mixon. Like, give me, give me, give me Devonta Freeman even on the other side of the game. I mean, to me, it's just so, like, all these things are all a matter of ownership. So, like, if you told me Josh Jacobs is 20%, like, then, then, like, take back my opinions. It's all yeah. in relation to that. That's why I look at this game and I go, uh, Julio Jones at 3%. Like, you told me in any game, I don't give you any context that Julio Jones has 180 yards and two touchdowns. Like, I, uh, are you shocked or anything? Yeah, n- not at all. So, like, there's there's no reason that you can't play Brian Jones, Hooper with the men with the moster. I mean, like, I don't think I go here only because mm-hmm. I think that it's spread out so much and the prices are still at points high enough. Where is it worth it? But yeah. like, I don't think you're crazy. Gotcha. So you're, would you say you're more interested then in considering like the Atlanta side for garbage, per, you know, garbage time catch up purposes? Yeah, I, th- I think I'm, I'm, I think it's much easier with Ridley out now that yeah. I could project the concentration of production on Atlanta than I can on San Francisco at their prices. Like Sanders could get there at 6,600, but that pretty much means that Debo Samuel doesn't get there at 5,800 and probably means that Kittle doesn't get there at 6,200. But mm-hmm. either, like, I could play one of them. It's a matter of like, I don't know which one of the three to play. So I, if I'm going to build a hundred lineups, I either have to take a stand and say, I need to just play one of them in lineups like that. Or I need to take up more of a percent of a portfolio of my lineups. So I could get each of the three in a different combination, which spreads out my, you know, diversifies as my pool and limits my you know ceiling of winning a GPP. So, yeah. like, I look at San Francisco and go, either I bet on one of these guys or I don't play any of them. 
Because yeah. I, don't, I, I don't think it's worth me playing like in 20% of my lineups. So I don't want to have to worry about making those combinations. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco is a team that is, I think, somewhat risky, uh, you know, with the possibility of like the team getting there total wise, but them just, you know, chopping it up so many different ways that none of their individual players like really, you know, everyone kind of like gets there, but no one, you know. No one's necessary. I mean, they they all get there. They all have points that like you could have in a winning lineup, but it's not one of those. It's not, it's not the no Sanders, no cash. It's not the no Moster, no cash type of like 38 point game. He's 4% owned and it's likely you're going to need him for a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. I'll keep that in mind. I, uh, you know, I, I've been pretty interested in playing like, uh, you know, Kittle in particular, but uh, you have to think about that. Maybe, maybe shy away from, uh, from that game. If we think there's, you know, going to be kind of accessible. Well, you don't have to shy away. You just have to pick, you have to pick one, make a decision. Just take one. <laughs> don't take one. So from an overall standpoint of the entire slate, I think uh, we're both in agreement that we're going to play the mid range running backs. We're going to play the, we're going to play like the lions vomit stack or the Jacksonville vomit stack. Uh, we're going to uh, close our eyes and pick whatever defense is available. And if it happens to be against Jameis Winston and we have Jameis Winston, that's perfectly fine. Uh, avoid the Browns uh, Cardinals game because it's wide variance. Uh, we, we're going to pretend that Eli Manning is bad because he probably is. Uh, and and then uh, you know it, it's perfectly fine, Stuart, for you to have a, a hundred thousand dollars is good for you, right? Because like I want first, <laughs> but I don't mind you having second. Yeah, yeah, sure, that works for me. I'll take one hundred k. But that <laughs> I mean, is that an overview of? Uh, I mean, I know that maybe not be the cash build, but from like a perspective of how to get different with the correlations, because most yeah. people play GPPs. I mean, get. I think getting away from those McCaffrey type builds, and still having kind of chalky pieces, I think may be the better approach. But in in catch, I I, I if you could fit in McCaffrey at ten thousand, like I, I don't think you could ever go wrong with that. Yeah, uh, I think I'm in agree with uh, in, in agreement with you on most of those things. I, I might be a little higher than you on uh, you know Eli and, and the Giants, uh, you know, passing attack. I mean, particularly Slayton and. Like I said, I and mean, part of that's going to depend on uh, Devontae Parker. Like, I kind of would like to see him in the game, and I think it makes for that game a little more of a healthy environment. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think in general this is a really good week. Uh, it's been one of the first weeks in a while where we've just had a really, uh, you know, good set of kind of games rank like two through seven. You know, I think in, in the for the past month or so there's been like, you know, one to three just like superior games, and it's, uh, you know, really – I think paramount to figure out those games correctly. And I think for the first time in a while, maybe it's the expanded slate. Maybe it's just the, uh, you know, the way the matchups are working out this week where I think there's some really interesting games kind of ranks, ranks three through seven or so. Um, and, and, you know, some really just good fertile spots where, uh, you know, there's going to be some guys that are, that are worth consideration. And people can find out about the tools that you offer at uh, advanced sports analytics. Yeah. Advanced, advanced sports analytics.com. Uh, you know, we, uh, we recently rolled out a kind of projection optimization algorithm. Uh, we got, uh, you know, data aggregation and visualization tools that I think, you know, are helpful in making good like one V one decisions, uh, you know, throwing projections out the window and really just drilling down you know, how much opportunity, how efficient are players with that opportunity, our defenses, uh, you know, scheming either, uh, you know, opportunity or efficiency away or towards a certain position, stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, check us out. If, uh, right. And you know me fun. for GPPs, I throw projections. 
yeah. out the window. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Anything the, could happen. Who knows? Yeah. The, the median stuff, you know, so many projections are kind of median oriented and uh, with GBPs, you know, you're shooting for, you know, stuff. Yeah, you're shooting of, for the moon. Yeah. So. It could happen. My, my, my favorite response when people are like, how do you, how do you play that? How do you play mixing against the Patriots defense? They're, they're so good. I said, well, maybe tomorrow they're not. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Just maybe tomorrow <laughs> it doesn't happen. Maybe it does happen. Yep. Doesn't know. No one knows. Yep. Well, hey, man, I hope you uh hope you 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 figure it out and get kind of the right uh the right mix, get some of those uh upside catches this week and um yeah, best of luck uh, in terms this week. Yeah, it probably won't happen though, but I mean I'll I'll get for it. <laughs> so uh we know that in all probability Travis Mangone will be back next week to host the show, assuming that he gets back from the traveling circus or wherever whatever hotel he's trying to play video games at. But I'm Jordan Cooper, Blender Ed. You can find me on Twitter at Blender HD. And that has been the Advanced Sports Analytics Show on rotogrinders.com.